Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Keenan Bolger. You're listening to the Theater Podcast with Alan Seals. Hey, everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is AKB, Andrew Keenan Bolger, who grew up a child star after his parents were. Uh, kind enough to kind of relocate their entire life so that he could pursue an amazing opportunity that kind of fell in his lap when he was around 10 years old. But he's super cool, stayed down to earth, which if you ask me is kind of unusual for somebody who uh, finds success so early in life. And he became a social media genius, kind of invested early on in the platforms and just, um, you know, opened up here on the podcast about actually the the toll it took on his mental health and how he sort of had to pull back for a while and and find out uh, who he is online versus who he is in real life and keep them separated for um, a healthy set of boundaries. So such a cool interview and a cool guy. Can't wait to share it. Find me online as you always do. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And everybody now, please enjoy this episode with Andrew Keenan Bolger. Our guest for this episode was last seen on Broadway as Jesse Tuck in Tuck Everlasting. Other Broadway credits include Crutchy in Newsies, Buy Me Papes, eh? Mary Poppins, Susical, Beauty and the Beast, and A Christmas Carol, in addition to the first national tours of Spelling Bee and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. On the TV, he's been seen in The Undoing, The Blacklist, The Other Two, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Nurse Jaxie, Jaxie, Nurse Jackie, and Looking. He is co-creator of the series Submissions Only, co-author of the book series Jack and Louisa, a social media genius, and is now part of the amazing ensemble cast of Dracula, a comedy of terrors. Now playing at New World Stages, Andrew Keenan Bolger, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, great Transylvanian accent, my gosh. Thank you. Now we have to do the whole episode with <laughs> this accent, which if I keep going, it's going to turn into something probably Irish. I, <laughs> I defaulted Jamaican, I thought. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, it always gets a little Caribbean somehow, which is a problem in the show because I think I do eight different accents. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because the if we're if we're allowed to, I don't know if there's any spoilers in here. Um, there's Dracula, and then there's uh, unnamed everyone else other than what what is it like actor one, actor two, actor three? Because you all yeah. play a bajillion different characters. Yeah, I play. I play like seven different characters in the show. Um, and every actor other than Dracula doubles um, a whole bunch of roles. It's like basically a nonstop quick changes, people playing multiple characters in one scene, um, just a huge laugh riot of a 90 minute play. And uh, as we're recording this, I haven't yet seen it. I'll see it in a few days. But from the production photos, which I'll post some on, on my Instas, uh, maybe in my threads too, because um, why not? Sure. And the costumes are no joke. They are heavy and like real. They look authentic. Yeah, it's funny. I was sort of picturing a little bit more like campy, like... Yeah. On an apron, and then suddenly you're the maid. You're like, no, we're jumping into full Victorian, ornate, brocade, lace up costume. So 
there is a whole other show going on behind the scenes with the dressers <laughs> who are, I'm sure, burning about like 3,000 calories a night, just running around getting us into these elaborate, incredible costumes. That sounds incredible. I, I wish there was, uh, if this were some weird invasion of union rules and privacy, <laughs> um, backstage cam. Oh, for, totally. Because I think it would be so cool to watch, especially dressers. Dressers have yeah. one of the hardest jobs in because if they, if they mess up, the whole show has to stop. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was, I will say, it was a challenging tech process, just figuring out all these changes. I'm used to tech slowing down when they're like, oh, we have to focus this light. We've got to like fix this sort of automation. Almost all of our stops were, okay, we have 12 seconds to do this insane costume change. Let's <laughs> run it like five times to make sure that we can do it. Okay, we need to add snaps to this. We need to Velcro this part. Um, yeah, it's wild. Are there any, are there any like Frozen style on stage full audience view like magic quick changes? Um, there are, there are indeed. Ooh. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to come and check us out at New World. Um, yeah, there are multiple on-stage casting changes. So, all right, all right, and some of them not even of the cast. The no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I would not put it past Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Greenberg, and Steve Rosen, the writers of this thing. Um, so full disclosure, uh, I was involved with the um, uh, with the recording of a version of the script in 2020. Yes. across Broadway Podcast Network, um, we put, we may already recorded and released Dracula in 2020 as an audio comedy. And uh, I was talking with Gordon Greenberg last night. I ran into him. And and I was like, is there, is there, uh, Lord, was it Lord Swivel Hips, I think? Um, or <laughs> oh, sure. The, El <laughs> the Elvis character, right? Yes. And, because we had, we had John Stamos in the recording. We had John Stamos do the recording. I was like, is John Stamos making, please tell me he's, he's making a cameo in this thing. <laughs> Just in all his free time. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah come you know. in, I'll come and do a little cameo. But is there, um, uh, a, did you listen to the, to the radio, to the audio comedy at all? And oh, then I totally B, did. Did yeah. you really? Oh, it was, it was such an amazing, I feel like, especially as an actor doing a new work to when you're deciding if this is a show that you want to be involved in, having that like incredibly professional cast recording or not cast recording, I guess like taping um, with like amazing actors. There's like Ashley Park and Annalie Ashford and like James Iglehart, just like real comic geniuses having that as something to look at before i started and being like oh i get what this tone of the show is oh my gosh it's like incredibly like high camp super madcap um yeah it, it was really helpful and then um a, a lot of the lines have changed obviously to be adapted for the stage but um yeah i would i would encourage people to go check it out it's it's really funny and it's like a really cool serialized just audio drama yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, I guess what's some of the things that, that you've enjoyed um, uh, as part of the process of things that have changed? Because one of the questions I had for you was, uh, because it is established and there have been multiple arc incarnations of this, which I guess in the grand scheme of things is not so different than any standard play getting workshopped and workshopped and staged and whatever, totally. right? Um but do you now that it's officially in this off-Broadway space with the off-Broadway contract and it's opened and the script is locked and et cetera, et cetera, do you uh, 
how much of you like Andrew did you get to bring to each of these characters to like say like can we try this here or or, or was it just more like stick to what we've got kid no it was it was very much let's we hired these actors for a reason um it's an ensemble of like five just full clowns honestly if we're being honest <laughs> we've all got some clown blood in our veins so um they very much encouraged they're like we know what worked for one actor in our out of town in montreal is not necessarily going to work for y'all um so yeah we brought a lot of it uh to the project and then even with my main character jonathan harker i think after we did the table read they're like i feel like you were doing something very different and we we are interested maybe taking this character into a direction that we had not anticipated, but has always sort of been like in the back of our brains, would it be okay if we tried out these things? And I, I won't give anything away just uh, for spoiler alerts with the plot, but it, it made me so, so happy to see that they were willing to change some stuff uh, based on what I was bringing to the table. Are are you um you in the cast uh working with the dialect coach too or is it just <laughs> let let me hear your best by me oh, pace sir <laughs> well <laughs> I know I also I I am not I would not say dialects are like necessarily my strength I did not have like <laughs> conservatory training I think I took like one semester of it so yes they they were able to bring in the dialect coach because the I I think I only speak in an American accent for three lines total. Everything else is, I think I do British RP. I do like uh, London, uh, like shabby kind of guy. I do Cockney, Irish, Scottish. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and oftentimes I'm changing accent like second to second. And it is, <laughs> there have been some times when I'm like, oh, that one came out Scottish. That was definitely supposed to be Southern, but... You know what? We're gonna run with it. There, luckily, I think the spirit of Dracula is so just like ridiculous and silly and goofy and campy that it it, it allowed to it, the, the play breathes every single night. We're responding to what everyone is doing on stage. If something goes wrong, it honestly only amps the <laughs> comedic potential of the clowns on stage who are responding to it. I was actually uh, I was gonna bring that up too. And normally, I don't get into like you know the 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 item that my guests are always on the podcast to promote, you know, we like slip it in so it doesn't feel like we're hitting the listeners over the head. Um, but uh, we just dove right in because I freaking love the show. <laughs> but I want to read, uh, let's see, this 90 minute gender bending quick change romp features a pansexual Gen Z Count Dracula in the midst of an existential crisis. I mean, you can't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're cramming it in. Uh, we've got everything. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it is, I think that is a fair description. <laughs> and <laughs> I think the one thing that we really didn't necessarily anticipate is just like how much of a laugh riot the entire show is. I feel like it was such a relief after rehearsing just in one of these like dull rehearsal rings with the same five people as your audience, like trying to sell them on your jokes and being like, oh gosh, are we even funny? I, I think you lose a sense of like what's actually going to play. And then just our first performance, I don't think any of us anticipated the reaction that we were going to get from the audience. I don't, I honestly, I don't think I've ever been in the show where folks are laughing harder for 90 straight minutes. Um, 
it has been hard almost to, to time some of our comedic timing because you're like, oh, I did not anticipate that we were going to get like mid-show applause because this person completed an insane quick change in like 10 seconds and then like re-emerged on stage as a completely different person. <laughs> I love I love it when the design is so complex and and uh, fine tuned that either set pieces or costume changes get the applause. <laughs> yeah, truly. Right, right. Uh, was that um, I guess part of the rehearsal process and or back up to the audition process too? Because mm-hmm. I I always I always wonder, uh, like for for comedies, I feel like the auditioning is more of a of a leap of faith maybe on the creative team because you you can't find the comedy in shows a lot of times until you're working with your other actors and you're working with the script and you see what works what doesn't when you get it on his feet so how do you audition comedy versus like i feel it's easier if you can if you're reading a dramatic monologue you can tell when somebody's really i mean i, I don't know i feel like saying oh that person could do drama is a lot easier to say, oh, that person can do comedy, but maybe that's yeah. just my inexperience oh, no, of they, never having directed anything. I know, I totally agree with you. And I think we were lucky enough that, um, so James Daly, who is our Dracula, he had done it in the Montreal version. And I think the creative team was like obsessed with this guy. He is, he really is amazing. He's gonna be a total breakout star. This is his first American, um, it's his American debut in um, theater or film. And, so he was actually at my audition and I got to do like a chemistry read with him, um, which I think was really nice because he also sort of set the tone of like, how big are we going? Because you never really know. And then I was also uh, the good fortune. They were just doing chemistry pairings with people who were auditioning. And the person I got paired up with was Jordan Bowman, who ended up being um, the Lucy who got cast. So I, I, I think they got to see how um, we were playing with each other and were like, oh, these people are doing a similar sort of style. They look good next to each other. Um, but I, I would have assumed that would have been impossible to just guess because you really never know. Um, you can get in the room. And luckily, I've also I've worked with a couple of the other people in it. Ellen Harvey, um, who plays basically all the male characters in the show. Um, mm-hmm. She and I did Mary Poppins together and along with a couple other like film projects on the side. Uh, and I know her style and uh, just a big fan. And we, we work really well together. Did you get to work with uh, uh, Gordon Steve, Gordon Greenberg, Steve Rosen before this? I, I had worked with Steve Rosen on um, my web series, Submissions Only. Uh, I think it, oh. he was in our second episode. So he was one of our very first guest stars and uh, just encouraged him to like play around and do a lot of improv with the role and was hysterical. And I've also just been a big fan of him from, uh, he hosted this uh, improv, like this kind of night of improv with the Broadway community called Don't Quit Your Night Job um, that is really hilarious. And it's the writer of um, a musical that I saw a whole bunch called The Other Josh Cohen. So big fan yeah. of him. Gordon, I've seen a lot of his work and like really respected him as um, a, as a director. And he's also a co-writer on this. Uh, so we knew each other, but had never worked with each other like on a theater project. Um, and yeah, it's just been really nice. It's, it's a goofy room where I think we are all just being ourselves. And then on break, part of like, gossiping and dishing about the world and what we're all watching on Netflix and like yeah it's the good the good buddy time <laughs> yeah uh uh 
Steve I'd, I was on my radar for the other Josh Cohen as well yeah. and we've just been in contact ever since he and David Rossmer are just incredible uh. incredible writers in their own right too um, but let's back up to, to little Andrew because um, I think uh, like you grew up as a child a professional child actor and oh, then sure of, cor- of course sister Celia um, is also uh, successful in her own right so your family it seems is a uh, is was it just you and Celia or did your parents what were your parents actors performers too where did all of this start yeah so we grew up in Detroit Michigan my parents not performers in any way I think my dad played the organ at church but that's like a about as musical as we got and he really honestly it's it's all Celia she's like six or seven years older than me. And I just grew up seeing her doing like community theater. I think as, as soon as I could stay quiet long enough to sit through a show, I was seeing her perform. And we also have a middle sister, Maggie, who is also a teaching artist and a playwright and director. So all three of us wow. are all in the arts. And I think part of it was like a carpool situation where... <laughs> It didn't seem tenable to drop one kid off at tennis, one at gymnastics. We all got dumped at the same theater. And if there was ever a show that didn't cast all three of us, then we just wouldn't do it as kids. Um, So, yeah. And then when I was about uh, like 10 years old, um, my parents kind of on a whim brought me to New York to audition for Beauty and the Beast. And I have to... I have to assume they never actually thought I would get it. I think that they were thinking it was more a fun chance to do a like road trip to the city with the kids. And instead, while I was in the room, this has never happened to me any other time in my career. They were like, can you tell your dad to come in? And they were like, so we're offering him a job. Can he move to New York by Friday? Because uh, he has to start rehearsals. And, and you're 10. Yeah. And God bless my parents who were like, okay. Yeah, we're going to make this enormous sacrifice and pick up our lives in Detroit to help our kids like follow their dreams. Um, wow. Something I could never imagine making a sacrifice for any other person, but I'm so, so, so grateful because I think as soon as I landed in the New York theater community, I was like, oh, this, this feels right. This is what I will spend my life trying to get back to. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Now we're back. I mean, when I was 10, I think I was watching He-Man, you know, <laughs> and that's probably why you're in Dracula and I'm a podcast <laughs> host. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I think uh, that's that speaks a lot to your parents. Gosh, that yeah, you're right. That, that's so much sacrifice. Um, was it in the middle of the school year too? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It was in January. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had to find wow. a whole new public school for me to go to in New York. And I think it, within that same hand, they were also, after I did Beauty and the Beast for a couple of years, they're like, okay, time to move home. And I got cast in another Broadway show and they were like, you know, it doesn't really feel fair to us who have jobs in Michigan to like make that kind of sacrifice. So we're going to move home. You're not going to do this Broadway show. And so then I moved back to Detroit very shortly after I ended up getting something else and it was on the road and they were like, okay, we could maybe work this out. If like Celia was my guardian for a little bit. And I had like an aunt and uncle who were my guardian. Um, but yeah, it was, it was both selfish or selfless on my parents' part. And then, making sure that I understood that 
this is something special and not something I should take for granted. Um, I think it was just honestly good lessons to learn as a person coming of age in a business. That's insane. And really, really, really uh, amazing on them to just let you follow that passion. Because it, it could be like, no, we can't do it. We're not going to make it work. Do you, are you allowed to say what you had to turn down? <laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah, I've been closed for years. I got cast in uh, The King and I revival with Donna Murphy. And then oh, wow. Couldn't do it. A shame. Yeah, that would be great <laughs> to work with Donna. Oh, total. I was watching, uh, side note, unrelated, I was watching um, Tangled with the kids the other day. And then I was like, oh, shit. That's Donna Murphy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's so it's just, <laughs> It's great how many of these old these old uh, movies that, that, you know, grew up and just kind of shaped some of our childhood. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're working alongside these yeah. people now. That is so much fun. The best. That's fun. Um, did you have any, any of those pinch me moments ever? Uh, or what, what was the last one you had where you're like, oh, I'm man. working alongside the voice of such and such yeah. that I watched when I was 10? You yeah. know, when I had uh, this uh, digital series, Submissions Only, which was all about um, auditioning for theater in New York, I, I created it in uh, 2010 with uh, my collaborator, Kate Weatherhead. And we did it for um, three seasons. And every episode, we had like a slew of guest stars. And it was pinch me moment after pinch me moment where I was suddenly directing some of the like great luminaries and giving them direction, which felt insane. Like, and then people like Andre McDonald, Cheetah Rivera, Kristen Chenoweth, like these people who I, I still to this day, like hold on the highest of pedestals being all realizing that all of them still want to do good. It didn't matter that it was a show that got broadcast on YouTube. They wanted to be good and having people like Audra ask you questions about what if I try it like this? Is this okay? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Which one do you like better? And having to put on your professional hat and be like, I honestly like the second version more, not just like, whatever you do, Audrey McDonald, it'll be amazing. Which, to be fair, whatever she would do would be amazing. Um, I was going to say, I mean, she could, she could stand on her <laughs> on her head and, yeah. and act like Ace Ventura and it would be awesome. <laughs> truly, truly. That's so cool. And so I, let's switch over then to, uh, to submissions only for a second, because mm -hmm. I remember hearing about it years ago. And um, I just noticed that it was produced by Kevin McCollum. So yeah. you, had, you had like a full producer, and, you know, like Kevin's no joke. He, he's oh, yeah. uh, like six is probably the biggest thing he's got on Broadway right now. But he did mm -hmm. Doubtfire, Something Rotten, Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at his resume. The original Jesus, Rent. Rent. Yeah. Original Rent, Avenue Q, Ragtime, uh, title of show. God, this dude yeah. is, has done everything. <laughs> and then... He's producing your web series. So how did <laughs> yeah. that happen? So uh, Kate and I made the first season. I think we made it for $2,000. And it was just us pooling our lunch money together. And he saw it after the first season and brought us in for a meeting and was like, listen, every single one of my hits has not been a commercial property investing in a uh, established creator. The things that I have made the biggest success on are things like Rent, someone who had no Broadway credits, Avenue Q, title of show, like all of these things. He's like, I think my, my style of producing is find what 
is not out there and that is what is actually commercial it's not trying to follow trends uh and so he was like i i understand this may not make any money this is also before streaming was a thing like netflix had just converted to having a digital model but had not had any tv shows yet and so we were putting this show up on youtube it was a 22 minute comedy and all of the advice that we were getting from everyone is like no one is going to watch tv streaming online they're gonna they want to watch like a three minute show and kato and i for some reason did not follow that advice and we were like no we want to make a tv show and we're going to put it online um and i think kevin saw the value in that and then helped us with enhancement money for the second season and then fully produced the third season and gave us not only like the resource of <laughs> truly money but also all of his connections and um helping us get all of our guest stars and introducing us to press agents and uh yeah it was it was amazing it's it, i i'm super super proud of it i almost wish we were not so ahead of the trend that it could have been able to have a wider release um i think it, it nowadays probably there is an actual model for creating a tv show that is streamed but uh the fact that it felt groundbreaking and something that there was so much goodwill for in the theater community that all of these guest stars agreed to show up to something that had no kind of reference point um i i always thought was really amazing other than there are these two kids they're trying to do something new um give them a chance yeah oh that's that's so smart i think it speaks to them too about you know, they're trying new media, they're trusting, because you never know yeah. when when the next you know, Steven Schwartz is going to pop up with a web series, right? Oh, totally. Like, yeah, they had no clue. But uh, have you thought about doing any sort of re-release remastered or whatnot? Because, you know, the especially some of the, um, like, you, you could just go back and, and, and remaster the audio. There's all these digital filters now. Totally, totally. Or, or add some cut scenes or whatever the case <laughs> is, right? Like, there's all sorts of ways. And I was looking at the comments this morning, like, like when will season four come out? Tell oh me gosh, there's going to oh be gosh. more. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We've never actually, I'm not sure Kate and I have talked about this. So whatever, I'll just drop some. We actually, we shot a TV pilot of it a couple of years ago. Um, for like a new submissions only <laughs> didn't get picked up but um oh it, it there is a tv pilot out there that lives that i'm super proud of it timing is sort of weird it all happened <laughs> during covid so i i think maybe if it had been timed differently we we might be on tv now but yeah i hope i i, I still think that um there's still like every time i'm at a stage door something will stop me and be like I have to be honest, this was like, was one of the reasons I moved to New York was because I saw people being really creative on the internet and also adjacent to theater, which is my other love. Um, yeah, so I hope I hope there's still a future for it. <laughs> I sort of think it's now would be a good time to revisit it because it's there's so much on TV now that has Broadway people and stuff like yeah. or only murders in the building, for example, and you've Total, got Ben yeah. Platt doing so much with theater camp. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe that's a conversation to, to, to circle back on. I'll put it out there in the universe. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's right. I think it's worth it. Is that, um, is that what got you started on, on the social media train as well? Because like I, I've actually heard multiple people reference your accounts as like the gold standard of how to grow 
Oh gosh. I mean, I honestly, I think a lot of it was just timing. Facebook came out when I was a junior in college and YouTube, I think like that same year as well. And I just invested early on in those two platforms. Uh, And so with YouTube, it was just me putting up clips of the concerts that I was producing while I was at like University of Michigan and putting up like backstage vlogs of like when I was on the road with Spelling Bee. Um, And at the time it was, it was some of the only content for people who were interested in theater. Now that seems so ubiquitous. I mean, we have, for Dracula, we have a social media person who does all of our social media. But I think at the time it, it felt like a new frontier that no one was doing. So I've, I've always put my, my stock in theater fans, especially young theater fans. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's something I still really believe in because especially in the theater world where if the gold standard is Broadway, that really only exists in like 30 or so theaters in one town in one 10 block stretch, there's, it's one of the last art forms that you really can't mass produce, which I think is what makes it so special, but also I think cuts off a huge fan base of people who, who just want some access to it. Yeah. Oh, I, I 100% agree, which is sort of, I, I'm mostly the reason why I created this podcast because I wanted to have the conversations and be able to share them with people who may not get the access. Yeah, and, and now five year five years on, I'm still going. <laughs> this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's a passion project and a labor of love, but but it's a lot of fun to meet amazing people such as yourself. Um, but yeah, I, I I the social media game, I call it a game, and it's just something <laughs> oh, yes. I haven't, I still haven't want to make the haven't wanted to make the time for. And again, you can get into the the analytics and the data. And is this? Do you just post what you like to post for pure enjoyment reasons? Are are you actually like analyzing what you're posting? Uh, I'm always curious about people's personal philosophies on all this. You're like, oh, with that post, I reached an extra hundred thousand accounts. And that post with my earlobe, oh, that wasn't cool. But my elbow, (laughs) they love that one. I think when I started out, I was just posting everything. I was I was posting what I ate, where I was working out, what bookstore I visited. I posted everything about my life. And I think that initially is what grew my account. I honestly, though, if I'm being honest, I, I have had a weird relationship with social media. It, it has not been great for my mental health in a lot of ways. Uh, I think when you open yourself up and ask for attention online, you don't always get to choose what kind of attention you get. And there have been there have been a lot of things that have made me not feel great about myself uh, that have happened through social media. So I now, I am a lot more cautious about how I use the app. Uh, and not cautious in terms of like, I'm not going to post hate speech. Like I was never doing any of that, obviously. But I am more cautious about what I get to keep for myself and for my husband, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. The character Keenan Blogger, which I am on Instagram and TikTok and I guess threads now, I think I made him up. I don't think he's real. He is He is a version of myself that I have allowed the world to see. I think the real Andrew Keenan Bulger, I think my close friends and my family know, but that I have decided is not for consumption. 
Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Now we're back. And I, I think probably I, I have had a lot of friends in this business who show every moment where they're in their dressing room getting ready, talking about their day. And it has had great success for them. And I have also seen people who share a lot and it ends up it ends up hurting and not feeling good and feeling like you have to manufacture parts of your life or you have to overshare to get more viewership. And I think that worked for me when I was young and I encourage if it's working for you, go for it. But also if you want to keep some stuff that is just for yourself, I think that is great too. That is, I, I love that, that someone as successful as you have, as you are still uh, realizes that uh, I guess, yeah, realizes that it's not healthy to post everything, realizes that it, I think it's chemically addictive, right? The likes and the oh, studies that, that, prove, that prove this, right? <laughs> right. Like you're getting the dopamine release and literally chemically falling in love with receiving likes. So you have to have that to be happy over time. Mm -hmm. And I, it just occurred to me the irony of, of an industry where you have to be authentic and real ultimately to be successful on stage. Um, if you do that on social media, it's actually a detriment to your health in, in a lot of cases. Like mm -hmm. it's, it seems like this struggle, this dichotomy. So I'm, I guess, um, you, you, I was going to ask, is it a problem? But yeah, you just said it was, but how do you, how do you manage that problem? How do you manage that conflict? Because when you have to be real and authentic and, and like yeah. you're doing stage doors and you're doing all this stuff and people are recording you, you don't get to control what they post. Right. Of course. Of course. I think, I think it is, um, it's being honest with my audience. I think the people who have, who have followed me for years, I, I get to do, I think as someone with a big social following, I, doors have been open to me that are insane. And my, to me, it, it feels crazy to me as well. Like I've gotten to go on vacations for free. I, I get paid to do brand deals. There are all these wild things about my life. And I think not pretending like that is totally normal. I, I think I can share with my audience like, yeah, I am on this trip to Singapore and I'm getting paid to go on it. This is nuts. This is so wild. I feel so lucky, but also understand this is not the real world. And this is maybe not even aspirational because I, I think my platform just took off at the right place at the right time. And then I think also making sure I, I try to post useful content for uh, my followers as well. I, I have a lot of, um, I think young queer people who follow me and making sure that I'm providing a lot of resources, um, providing things like tips for coming out, like, uh, things like on national coming out day, providing some history, um, providing links, uh, for kids who might need to talk to someone, making sure that I'm like doing equal parts service. And also anytime I do a brand deal, I also, um, I, um, percentage of any of my earnings I donate to a foundation that I'm liking at the moment places like California or the Trevor project or during um during COVID I was donating 100% of uh not 100% of my earnings but I was donating all of um my like 
earmarked earnings to the actors fund for all of my friends who were not able to work at that time um mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's it's being honest with your audience but also i, I know that people are following me because they want to know what's up and um having a responsibility to <laughs> share some of that as well uh especially for the people who are not going to be able to fly to new york to see dracula because they're high school students but still want to feel like they can experience a part of it i think it's very important yeah oh i i love that that is <sighs> i think it's unusual if i may to say mm -hmm. somebody who grew up basically in the age of social media who started professional theater at the age of 10 and and may or may not have had the appropriate um uh reflection is what i was going to say but it's not the right word um perspective to know what it's like to live i'll put in air quotes a normal life that you seem to be so freaking humble and living a normal life and you're not like look at me i'm entitled to everything which is what i think a lot of social media influencers want to do or yeah. are, are doing <laughs> also to be clear i have not figured this out either what feels good to me one month the next month will feel crummy i i am not I have not figured it out either. I think none of us could have anticipated how social media would have changed the world. I could have never anticipated how it would have changed my career. I was just out there trying to share and trying to honestly document. Um, a lot of it is for me as well. It's I like being able to look at my the blogs that I made in Newsies and revisit these like landmark parts of my life <laughs> like the right. literal good old days um but all to say like i i haven't figured it out either and i am always eager if anyone has any kind of lived advice of how they are able to compartmentalize the version of their self that lives online with the version of their self that exists as a person every single day i i uh that is that's a very good question and I, I have a love-hate relationship um, with the... Uh, I, I know why this is done. Um, the people who post the ugly cry pictures, the the downtimes <laughs> are like, they don't post it in the moment, but they take a picture of it. But still, I'm like, wait, you thought you're going through a trauma, you've had a bad time, you're literally ugly crying, and you still have the, for, the, the, the forethought to take a picture of it. Which I, I I guess I don't know. That just it just yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Shrug. Yeah. Big shrug. Big shrug on that you, one. If if you feel okay doing that, go for it. I also one of my like things that my husband has taught me. My husband worked for years as a journalist and specifically as a digital journalist for an online publication. And he is always saying, anything that you put online, just view it with the least generous lens because the internet always will find something to say and rarely is it you look great you're amazing and even for the hundreds of people who will tell you that there will be two people who say something shitty to you and that's going to be the thing that at least for me that's the thing i remember um yeah. and so i think trying to expose myself to as little of that as possible is how i've been able to stay online but also have a healthier relationship with it 
I'm fascinated by it. All right, but we don't need to. We don't need to keep digging <laughs> into this. Um, so, uh, submissions only your web series. It, it turned into the book series, Jack and Louisa, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. What is Jack and Louisa? Um, so, yeah, I think between our second and our third season, we got an email from someone at Penguin Random House saying, "Hey, would you and Kate want to come in for a meeting?" And I think both of us were like, we can't write a book. Like, what are they talking about? We're, we're filmmakers who make stuff on YouTube. But God bless this woman, Jordan Hammersley, who is an editor at Penguin Random House, was like, I love submissions only. I think that there should be a middle grade book about two kids who are theater fans. And I think that it should be written by you. And she gave us the task of try just writing four chapters and an outline of the first book. And we decided that like Kate could tell the story from the girl's perspective. I could tell from the boy's perspective and that it would kind of be like almost a letter writing courtship. Uh, and so we brought them the first four chapters and we got a book deal out of it, a three book book series book deal. Uh, and then had to write three books. Um, but it was it was an incredible challenge. But also, I'm so glad I didn't know anything about it because I think the first one was easy to write. The second one was a little harder. And the third one was like incredibly hard. It is it is very much the more you know, the harder anything is. Um, uh, yeah, but they're out there. Um, I just finished my fourth book, which is um, one that I wrote solo. Uh, and now the woman, Jordan Hannesley, who was my editor on that first book, is now my agent. I'm still working with her like 10 or so years later. Uh, wow. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for this next chapter. And Are are they, how long are they? Are they young adult novels? Or, they're they're similar or... for middle school age. Um, it's funny, I think weirdly, most people reading them are probably high school and older, um, just because I think that's where my audience lives. Um, and a lot of people find it through me rather than like are at their local library and see it pop out. But yeah, it's for it's for kids. I think like eight to eleven is who we were writing for. But I also I I sort of had it in my head that that was like kids writing and that we somehow had to dumb down a lot of like the story that we wanted to tell. And we're encouraged by Penguin like no write it all. We will we will scale you back if there's language that is not appropriate for that age level but they were like we think that your character jack that you're writing in the third book we would love to see him come out as gay and i was like wait for like a middle schooler is reading us wow. uh, i could not fathom that because i i didn't get any kind of material like that when i was a kid and thinking yeah. of like how much less lonely i would have felt had i in middle school read a book where the protagonist ends up being gay i i was so amazed that this was also 10 years ago. I don't think marriage equality had happened even really. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really cool challenge and knowing that kids are smarter than you think and they understand a lot and that you should not necessarily, I think, tamp down any of the kind of big thoughts and big ideas that you have because kids feel those sometimes even more acutely. Yeah. Oh gosh, that would have, yeah, that would have been great. I think uh, I I don't treat my kids. I have two two uh, that are now in second and third grade, and I don't treat Aww. them like they're stupid 
at all, <laughs> at all because no, they ask no. such amazing questions. Yes. And uh, you can tell they're thinking about this stuff and they just don't have the life experience to know how to categorize it yet, but they know it. Completely. They, they intuit all of this stuff, which I think is why theater and storytelling speaks to so many people, especially children, because it's, it's allowing them to start to understand and experience uh, these scenarios that they may or may not ever get to to actually go through in real life. You know, same with adults too, but I think, you know, especially it's important for children, so. Oh my gosh, yeah. The number of lessons I learned from cast recordings from when I was like a 10-year-old nerd <laughs> looking at Also vocabulary. <laughs> vocabulary was super handy with taking the SATs. I can't tell you how many words popped up where I was like, oh, I know this word from the Lacusa Wild Party. <laughs> That's a fair, fair, very fair point. Um, when did you meet your your husband? How did you guys meet? Uh, so we are we're coming on ten years actually. Uh, Everything is a decade old now. <laughs> I know it's true. Um, we have a cute little meet cute story. We were actually set up. Uh, we were set up by none other than Ben Stasek, who um, set us up on a blind date, uh, which I I really owe it to him. <laughs> he's a he's a good guy, but like. He's a really good guy in my eyes because he introduced me to my husband. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, uh, wow. What did you go on your first date? We went to, I mean, this is very random, uh, 54 Below, oh, <laughs> which appropriate. he had never, yeah, he had never been there before. He was like, where are we? And immediately I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's not in the business. God, what a catch. I'm like, oh, to meet someone who doesn't even know what 54 Below is. Um, yes, we we went to a Darren Chris concert together. Who Darren Chris ten I went years to, ago? He, yeah, I went to our college with him as well. Was this ten years ago, Darren Chris? Was this Glee? Was this in the midst of Glee? I think it might have been like just remember. slightly post Glee. Right. I think I, it was I when he was Glee anymore. Yeah. It's all get it's all blurring together. We're getting too old, man. <laughs> I know. You. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, let's wrap with three questions that I ask everyone oh, sure. to end the episodes. Number one, just what motivates you? Um, I think what motivates me the most is seeing really impressive work from other people. Um, I, when I see a good show that there is an, a performance in that feels otherworldly, I do not do the thing where I'm like, well, I could never do that. I, I think that, but I, I find that seeing someone excelling so much or reading something that is so incredible, that is what really lights the fire under my ass to create and to push myself. Um, so absolutely that. And Instagram likes. Just kidding. And uh, <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, okay, question two. What advice would you give your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I think I wasted far too much time in my career and just honestly as a person trying to emulate the artists who I was obsessed with. I, I think... Like I grew up being obsessed with like Nathan Lane and Kristen Chenoweth and always trying to kind of do their bits. And I would say my advice is that like New York theater already has Kristen Chenoweth and they already have Nathan Lane, but what they don't have is you. And I think all of the success that I have found, it was never for me trying to 
do someone else's shtick or to be like another person. Sure, I could be influenced by certain performances, but ultimately it's, I've been cast for things that are characters that are the most like me, Andrew, as a person, and not because I am this transformative character, I think. Interesting. I like that. Okay. Last question. Hardest one. If you don't, bleh, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what uh, would you see? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so hard. Um, like, maybe Sunny on the Park with George. I feel like I wish mm. Stephen Sondheim's kind of saying, I've just been revisiting all of those like incredible musicals of his and I, you find something new in the lyrics every single time. Um, yeah, so I, would, I think I would say Sending the Park, also because it's like such for anyone who is a creator or an artist, like that show is such catnip for us and it speaks so much to what it feels like to try and make something and to put it out in the world and to have hope that when we leave this earth that we are leaving behind something, whether it be a painting or a child or um a piece of uh music that we have something that will be remembered by oh that's beautiful all right and uh everyone listening now go to draculacomedy.com get your tickets for dracula a comedy of terrors <laughs> uh where else can we find you on the socials i know that obviously i don't have to ask if you play the game but where do you play the game <laughs> oh i play the game on i'm on all of them uh, at Keenan Blogger, um, you'll find me on the TikTok, on the threads, not so much the Twitter slash X anymore, um, mm -mm. but on Instagram, of course, is my OG. Do you do Facebook anymore? I don't. I don't do Facebook anymore. I feel like that's yeah. that's not your demographic. Not so much. It, it was yeah. a great way to yeah keep up with, I think, kids from high school. I still have an account. It's just private, and I really only yeah. use it to stalk people i had crushes on as a teenager <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. What are they doing are uh, they still in michigan are they still in my is my life okay compared to theirs schadenfreude keep on going up uh i am on instagram their threads and facebook x i think i'm throwing away um at theater underscore podcast leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now turn to your neighbor and say hey neighbor i'm listening to Anna, andrew, andrew 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 man i need to slow down this morning hey neighbor i'm listening to andrew keenan bolger on the theater podcast and you need to listen to thank you to jukebox the ghost for the intro and outro music and akb thanks so much man this has been a great chat thank you for having me Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.